So how do we manage our temples? The first thing you should remember is democracy would not work. You can't say, okay, there are 800 persons in the village. They will vote. They will choose who they like. And that person will run the temple. He or she or they. No. You have to have qualifications. So when we determine who will administer a temple, we must first find out and get it declared. This belongs to this samadaya. And only those people can administer the temple. There is uh, already a methodology by which hereditary trustees were there. The role of hereditary trustees is very important because the loyalty flows through their veins. We have seen enough. I have told you we are getting our temples back. I am going to do a little talk on why we are getting temples back after this presentation. Let us assume for a moment all our temples are coming back and we are going to administer them. Before administering them, we need to see what really happens inside a temple or very adjacent to a temple. We have to see that. There are four areas by which you could uh, segregate what happens in a temple. One is the worship, pujas, festivals and those rare occasions where you do a consecration once in 20 years. Those are religious matters. The second is the administration of properties, immobile and mobile. I just now mentioned the extent of properties uh, Tamil Nadu temples have. The undivided Andhra Pradesh had more. Karnataka also there are more. Um, in Kerala, they systematically, the communist governments which came to power very early, they took away a lot of temple properties. And they are giving some pittance as an annual annuity compensation. Um, we have filed a case against that. Unfortunately, Supreme Court wanted some more information and they gave the petition back to us. We are working on the information. We will be filing the case again. As per our calculation, the annuity as a minimum level, they should come to Kerala temples for the lands taken by the government, is about 280 crores per annum. And the arrears of the annuity, the last 70 years, with interest, it comes about 150,000 crore rupees. So, then you have the day-to-day -day administration in a temple. How you run a temple, when do you open it? How do you manage the crowd? How do you keep the temple clean? How do you protect them? How do you do a watch and what duty? All this and the daily expenses, the daily income, how to account it? How do you have expenses? Supposing you have a, um, some civil repairs, how do you call for a tender? All these things. These are all administration side. That's the third one. The fourth one is the heritage, especially in South India, where you have a large number of temples that are more than 100 years old. And any temple that is more than 100 years old is an ancient temple by definition. We have to preserve them. Preservation is something little more than conservation. You have to keep them as they are. Only thing you should not allow to happen is their structure stability should not get diluted. You should keep them as they are. You can't say, okay, there is so much open space here, I'll add one more month up here. There is so, <coughs> so much space here, I'll build some shops. I'll put an office. No. The vacant spaces are holy. They are important. They are part of the heritage. 
and they are part of the Agama Shastras, more importantly. So these are the four areas. Now one cannot expect to be, you know, everybody to be experts in all these four areas. Definitely not. Even in more than one area, it's going to be difficult. So how do we manage our temples? The first thing you should remember is democracy would not work. You can't say, okay, there are 800 persons in the village, they will vote, they will choose who they like, and that person will run the temple. He or she or they. No, you have to have qualifications. If you have um, something like a bank, you don't elect the bank manager, do you? You don't elect the college principal. You don't elect the RBI governor. No, doesn't work there. So you need to have qualifications. And there is a, already a methodology by which hereditary trustees were there. Hereditary trustees were usually coming from families which had affluence, people who had uh, um, knowledge of uh, Sastras and also had some influence in the locality. The role of hereditary trust is very important because the loyalty flows through their veins. The grandfather would have taught his grandchild or granddaughter or grandson when they were five years old or six years old saying that this is our temple. We have this duty. And when you come to a temple, you take that Udra Bandana and tie it here. You prostrate at the entrance. You, this is how you receive prasad. And how do you do offer worship? And how do you protect the properties? And how do you keep the temple clean? And when you come out of the temple, you don't take anything with you except prasad. The Travancur Maharaja, when he comes out of the temple, he washes his feet and come. He doesn't want, even want to take the dust from the temple. They, the Raja was always known as Padmanabha Dasa. He was never known as the king. Slave of Padmanabha. Now, what are the qualifications? I put here internal and external. To run the temple, it's called, in Tamil it's called Ulturai. To run affairs, look after the affairs outside the temple, it's called Veliturai, inside and outside. So inside, the Pujari is there, the Achaka is there, the uh, musicians are there. Then you have scholars of Shastra, Veda Pandits and all that. What qualifications they have? The cook, even the person who cleans the temple, what qualifications they should have? Does the sweeper require a qualification? Yes, he requires a qualification. He should first have a bath and come. He should respect the temple rules. He should not be a drunkard. Now you see, show me a, one executive officer who is not a drunkard. I will show you nine who are drunkards. External administrative capability, vision, loyalty, honesty, how to protect properties, they should have efficiency. So external qualifications. Then we should not just depend on individuals. We should have two bodies. One body of Dharmic Parikshat, which will have able administrators, people with Sastra knowledge, and people who know about the temple, 
archaeology inscriptions basic stuff not archaeology experts something to do with temple shastras one body and one body to look after the assets i'll come in now this is a very important point i have a set of slides uh, separately to show how we were short changed for the last 70 years how um if i may be permitted to say so even the supreme court denied us fundamental rights every temple belongs to one sampradaya why do i use the word sampradaya instead of denominations denominations is a 100% western concept and it's more a church concept you only had catholics then you started having protestants then in the protestants there are hundreds of divisions if you go to the us you will find you will find the methodist seventh day adventist amish protestant pentecostal and within pentecostal born again whatever what not and all that so each church belongs to one denomination or other and if you belong to a pentecostal church if you are a member of it we don't we are not members of church uh, temples but the christian community there are they are members and if your family goes to a pentecostal church and if you move from bengaluru to mysore and mysore you don't find a pentecostal church i'm saying just an example there is a baby born in your family you you can't as a catholic family take it to or sorry pentecostal family take it to a catholic church and say please baptize my child no they'll refuse somebody dies in the family can i bury my dead in your church graveyard um, no refused but in hindu sampradayas i might be a vaishnavite and within vaishnavite i might be a tengalai vaishnavite but i'll still go to other temples other uh, vishnu temples other deity temples vice versa i'm a saivite i go to all vishnu temples i go to devi temples i go to ayappa temples and nobody stops me nobody would stop me hey you are a vaishnavite why are you coming to my temple have you ever heard that question being asked anywhere no you are a vaishnavite why are you doing this ritual inside a shiva temple no this is sampradaya sampradaya will have unique practices the shiva sampradaya will be different from vaishnavite sampradayas but that doesn't stop them from denominations whereas courts said no you need to be an organization you need to have a common faith you need to have a common name and only those people should come shabarimala is not a denomination but an unique cult like shabarimala is not a denomination why because millions of devotees are coming and they belong to various sects vaishnavas saivites even non hindus are coming so you are not a denomination so you are since you are not a denomination you are just a hindu and since you are just a hindu it is not a hindu practice to stop women from coming to the this temple so that's the logic behind the majority judgment of the shabarimala temple case so in reality we should only look at the practices the tenets that temple follows this follows the tengalai uh, vaishnava sampradaya yes it belongs to it this follows the lingayat sampradaya yes so when we determine who will administer a temple we must first find out and get it declared this belongs to this sampradaya 
and only those people can administer them. Forget the concept of Hindus. There is no such thing as Hindus. But there are people universally following Sanatana Dharma, which has its basis in the Vedas. Among the so-called Hindu religion, a Gnostic is not someone who, who does not believe in God. A Gnostic is someone who does not believe in the Vedas. So we must remember that. And now let's go to who can be the first trustees. For two generations, there are no trustees. I mean, no proper trustees. So how do we take the temples from government and how do we appoint trustees? Hereditary trustees are there, fine. Their family can continue unless and otherwise it is proven that the current family members are misfits. Then they should not be there. All the major temples in Karnataka or Tamil Nadu or Andhra, they all had at one point of time, especially before 1951, some scheme of administration framed by either a district court or a high court or even a lawyer court and which they have been following. There are always, we Hindus are experts in fighting. I want the first honor. No, I am the third son of the fourth wife. I am only entitled to run this temple. All these problems were there. So they all went to the court and courts invariably came with good schemes of administration. They settle the schemes only with the interest of the temple in mind and how it should be run. After HRNC, after Muzrai department taking over these temples, the first thing they did is scrap those schemes. We are running the temples as per law. That's their argument. And what does the law say? Anything the minister says is law. So we should adapt to the schemes of administration. And yeah, government will be there as a watchdog at a distance. What do we do? These days we allow dogs inside the houses. In those days they never did it. It used to be tied up <laughs> next to a tree or something. The night they let it out. Government can regulate. It can say you have to follow a double entry bookkeeping system. If you are getting X amount of income, you have to get your accounts verified by a chartered accountant. You should publish your audited reports. You should beforehand publish your projected budget of income and expenditure. These are regulations. But control is saying, I will decide when your temple will do the consecration. I will determine how, how much it will spend. I will determine who is to be invited for festivals and all that. Now, who can be trustees? We already talked about denominations or sampradayas. If it is a Vaishnavite temple, only Vaishnavite should be administrators. Everyone can go and offer worship, but it should be only the denomination people who should administer the temple, but they should be qualified persons. So what is the Chola system here? Chola, Chola kingdom, you might have heard about Chola kingdom, the builders of the uh, Tanjur Bragdishwara temple, the well famous, uh, which is now UNESCO site. They also have built a temple here in uh, Karnataka, I think, uh, uh, some 70 80 kilometers from here. This is a Chola temple. So quite a lot. Quite a lot. Many, many, many. Okay. So they had a system of administration of villages 
and any uh, institution, which is called a kodam olay system. Olay is a palm leaf, and kodam means a pot. So first they announce the qualifications. You should have your own property. You should have at least one third of a veli. Veli is six and a half acres or six point two five acres. So you should have at least two acres of land. You should have your own house in the village or town. Why? Why do they insist on this? Otherwise, tomorrow you make somebody a trustee who is not even a resident of this village, who doesn't have properties, and he runs away with the temple jewels. What do you do? At least you can lay your hands on the house and the land. So first, you should have some properties. Then you should be between the age of thirty-five and seventy. No, um, you know, like making someone very young who is inexperienced, or making someone very old. In those days, seventy years is a very ripe old age. Probably many of them did not even have good eyesight. So seventy is the maximum age, and you can be the administrator if chosen for three years. The next three years, you cannot contest again. These kind of Qualification, disqualification. You should not be a drunkard. You should not have. And if you fail to give the accounts after being chosen as a trustee and serving as a trustee, not only you and your family members, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins are debarred from contesting. So they write the name of the qualified people. They have divided into six administrations: tanks, temple, property, garden, and all that. And you have fifteen, twenty names in the pot. A child, almost a toddler, is asked to come and pick up the palm leaf. So the first name, second name, six names are chosen. Even today, this is followed in Chidambaram Temple. The Chidambaram Temple, it has got about two. Sorry, last count about three hundred twenty teachers. And each of them have equal powers. So, if you were in the managing committee previously, your name won't be there. The other nine nine members form a committee. The other members' names are put in in a pot. On February twenty eighth, nine names are selected, and one month time is given. Supposing somebody says no this year, I don't think I can take the responsibility. They are given that opportunity to deny that. Then on first April morning, the again the nine names are put and they are taken. The first name comes out is the secretary of the Pudu Teachers. That means he is heading all the teachers for that year, one year. This system is being followed. So we should very clearly. Lay down the qualifications: people with property, people who are resident, people who have education, people who have skills, and known for their honesty, and known for their devotedness. And then, the first time around, we should place the names in a pot before the Lord, and we should ask a child to pick it up. So even those who are chosen, they will know it is the Lord who has. Allow them to be chosen. That system should be followed to begin with. Is my humble opinion. But of course, that doesn't mean any names. The name should be from the denomination. The name should be with those of those people with qualifications.
and trustee should hold a minimum of three years. And after choosing the trustees in the day-to-day -day, um, running of the temple, if there are any disputes, religious disputes, people or the devotees should be barred from going to the courts, which will give you uh, a verdict after 25 years or 30 years, or will just give any verdict which has nothing to do with Dharma or Shastras. They should go to the Dharmic Parishad, which is a body, which is, should be an apex body, I said, regarding um, religious matters. Now, if you take State Bank of India or railways or LICs, which are huge organizations, which have been there for more than a generation, they have a lot of external immovable properties. They have uh, sites, they have a lot of buildings, they have a lot of houses, railways has huge properties. And they get income from those properties. It's a sizable income. Besides their banking business, besides their railway business, besides their insurance business, these companies get money from these properties. And how do they manage these properties? They have something called estate office. The estate officer is a qualified judge in the rank of a district judge. He has experience as a judge and he is chosen and designated as an estate officer for LIC. Now, any dispute on rent fixation, eviction, um, encroachment, and all these things, you can't go to a civil court and file a case against the property owner who is SBI or LIC. You have to go before the respective estate office. Similarly, for temples, we should have a district-wise estate office which will deal with the temples external property management. The, this temple has 10 houses. The 10 houses are let on uh, rent. So what are the, how do you fix the lease? There should be guidelines. There should be general guidelines and there should be specific guidelines. Supposing one of these 10 houses has a special mar uh, market value, then the, naturally the rent fixation will be different. And there will be disputes. And all this will be dealt with by the estate officer who has quasi-judicial power. Now the estate officer gives a judgment, gives an order. And he says, no, from 2016, the rent has been revised from 10,000 to 25,000 rupees because that is the fair rent that is much less than the market rent. You will have to pay arrears from 2015. People usually go to the court and they get a stay order, depending on the judge or depending on your lawyer, whichever the case may be. So in such cases, the court should not grant stay unless and otherwise even the minimum, that 10,000 rupees which is pending since 2016, that is cleared. So the legislation should be made such a way that it does not help the violator. It does not help the encroacher. Supposing I say, no, no, the rent has been increased. It should be actually only 10,000 rupees. I've been charged 15,000 rupees. Okay, who are you? How did you come to stay in this house? Oh no, I paid Pagadi to somebody and I moved into this house. I don't have a lease agreement. Then the answer should be get out. You can't tell the court, no, no, if I'm moved out, I have a family, my son is studying. First of all, you broke the law and you came here. 
and you are trying to use the law to have a gain over the temple. That should not be allowed. Now, what are the other things we should do to run the temples? How many of you know that the temples in Andhra or Karnataka or Tamil Nadu or in Kerala, they do not even follow double entry bookkeeping system. If you put a deposit, bank deposit, supposing a hundi collection, you open the hundi after three months, you find 5 lakh rupees, 25,000 rupees, you put 5 lakhs deposit, 25,000 rupees you keep for expenses. That 5 lakh rupees is treated as an expense. A 10 lakh rupee deposit matures, it is treated as an income. This is single entry bookkeeping system, just to explain. And there are no external audit, there is only internal audit. And we saw how many audit objections were pending as of 2016 in Tamil Nadu, 1.3 million audit objections. Wherever necessary, external audit should happen. In fact, the uh, Tamil Nadu Act very clearly says, and it, uh, it was uh, drafted in 1959, it came to force on 1st January 1960. The Act says, all temples which are having less than 1000 annual income shall have an internal audit. That means if you have 1001 rupee as annual income, you will have external audit. Okay, more than 1 lakh to become, you know, sorry, 1000 to become 1 lakh now or even 10 lakhs. But Pioneer Temple, which is getting 250 crore rupees, has no external audit. And um, one more thing I tell you, the Tamil Nadu uh, team, which does the audit for temples, the internal audit team, does not even have an annual, ma uh, sorry, manual, audit manual. This has come out of RTA questions. They don't have an audit manual. How do you do the audit? We do it with the internal circulars. Good. So, then something called voluntary adherence to RTA. At least those temples which have more than 5 lakh rupees income, even if they come out of government control, they should voluntarily adhere to right to information. That doesn't mean you keep answering all the questions people ask you. Today, I can, even if my name is Farooq Abdullah, I can ask questions under RTI about Tirupati temple. Nobody can ask me the locus. Because as a citizen of India, I am entitled to RTI. Now, when you do voluntary RTI, after coming out of government control and for temples having more than 5 lakh rupees, you can lay some conditions. You will ask about the accounts, you will ask about the decisions taken. You will not ask for the pictures or the jewels. You will not ask for the rationale behind choosing a date for consecration, all that you will not ask. You will not ask if you do not belong to the Hindu religion, something like this, those conditions. But you should have something similar to RTI. Then you should have Government of India accounting standards that are applicable to trust and minimum administration cost. I talked about voluntarism in the beginning. People should Hindus should come to temples and offer seva to lift the palanquin of the Lord. It's punya. People should realize all that. They should come back. Ladies will come and clean the temple. They will come and do this kolam. They will decorate the temple. They will come with the garland of flowers. 
all those things they will come with some specially embroidered clothes all volunteers and the administration cost should be minimal today the tamil nadu government charges 14% as administration cost and 4% as audit fee andhra pradesh a total of 20% that is one fifth of your income imagine one fifth of the tirupati income as administrative charges for the lousy administration they are giving they are looting you and i and the lord then we should to begin with publish what are the statues here what are the valuables here what are the properties here the survey numbers location is it agricultural land is it a orchard is it a site is it a building all these should be published and updated once in 3 years of ias and anyone endowing any property for temples they should be immediately registered what happens is what has been happening over 60 70 years is there will be one devout gentleman who will be having three apartments let's say or he has three floors in his own house he will say the third floor income should go to lord vaidyeshwara for this purpose for another ananda temple during his days it will happen during his son's days something of it will happen the grandson's day the building is sold off there's nothing there and who knows about it nobody knows about it so if you are endowing something if you are building a charity they should all be registered by law like a will and with the register of properties okay with copies to the temple copies to the register copy to the government and maybe copy to the estate office which you are talking about and mats the kanchi mahaswami used to say in karnataka if you fall you have to fall in front of a mat there were so many mats in karnataka and uh, tamil nadu also is kerala is one state where they don't have too many mats andhra also you have mats you have gr periya gr chinna gr all these things mats have a very very big responsibility to people. today unfortunately i shouldn't be saying this but um one problem is nepotism the next matadipati even in mats where brahmacharya have to serve is usually from the immediate relative circle or somebody is favored for whatever reason then that means you are not chosen as the next matadipati based on your horoscope based on your outlook based on your training based on the tests done by the acharya the proper test done by the acharya in selecting his disciple if such things happen if a proper matadipati does not come what happens then we devotees won't respect that matadipati we will find him like an ordinary human being as it is it is happening now but matadipatis have a very very big because if they stand up and say something even today there are tens of thousands of people willing to listen shingari acharya comes and says no this is not done this way people immediately say yes pooja swami ji pooja sakracharya swami ji what he says is correct as if we, we should not be certifying what he says is correct but 
they agree with it because the person saying is an ascetic a person who when told his mother passed away he said okay he said okay my shastras i had to have a bath he had a bath and went to do puja so such people we respect we expect guidelines from them so much have a very big this thing i am putting this as a special slide because tomorrow all said and done let it be denomination let it be sampradayas let it be schemes of administration but when there is a dispute when there is a problem who do we go to we go to madadipatis and this madadipatis should guide us as per the shastras and to do that there should be proper selection proper training and there should be like pillars of fire and mats also have a responsibility to run institutions dharmic institutions veda parashalas ayurveda parashalas goshalas and from them we will derive inspiration